Good morning, Spruce Grove Community Church. Let's just begin to uh, collectively turn our hearts in the same direction. Amen. How's everybody doing? The beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is the kingdom is not unfolding aside from you. That you, you are the agents of the kingdom. You are the ambassadors of the kingdom. You know what it means to be an ambassador? That means you represent in a foreign place another world, another kingdom, another reality, another value system. You are the soul representation when you are the ambassador. You are the voice of that other dimension, that other realm. And it, the, with the kingdom of God, we are ambassadors. We are represent. That means the kingdom starts right here. It starts with what we do today. What we're doing today is not incidental. It's not just something in the corner that, you know, God's going to toss us a bone and we're hoping we can get some morsels that drop from the table. No, the kingdom of God begins right here this morning. That the invasion of earth from heaven begins with our worship, begins with what we believe, begins with what we do. So, Father, we say we invite the kingdom into this room today. We say, Lord, let heavenly realms begin to unfold. Let there be angelic visitation. Let there be revelation. Let there be breakthrough. Let there be freedom in the presence of the Lord. We say, Lord, we invite you in everything that you represent to begin to unfold in this room. Let's worship him. Father, we thank you that the treasure, the greatest treasure is you. That we would see you. That we would hear your voice. That you would draw near to us. That we could draw near to you, Lord. I pray for every single person in this building and everyone watching online to say the invitation is open to draw near to consummate beauty. Open up the gates, Lord, of our hearts. And I say, Lord, let the power and the grace and the beauty of who you are begin to cascade down on needy hearts and souls today. I say, let breakthrough come to your lives.
Hallelujah. So, I, I've got something I want to share with you that I, I feel is important. Do you know that we're at a, a threshold of shift in our nation, in our culture, and God is inviting us to be a part of the answer. In fact, he's called us to be the solution. We are called to be heaven's solution for man's problems. Now, what is it going to take? Uh, I see how I can blend these two things, but as we're worshiping here today, I just began to feel the, the, the duality of these two things, that on the one hand, God wants to bless us. God wants to, to pour out his love upon us. He wants to give us everything that he has. But you know what's required to do that? He's got to kill us. He's got, he's, he said, to pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, these, aren't these opposites? Joy, freedom, beauty. But what, the gateway is death? Seriously? You know, and it's funny because and you have to realize, this is why I encourage you, read the Bible, okay? Read, read the Bible. Because there's some important things in there. But, you know, when, when Paul was, was converted, Saul was converted, he became Paul. We, we know it was a glorious thing and God had selected him and wonderful things. But I want you to realize that we're, we're stuck in a certain kind of culture today. And that culture is very man-centric. Very man-centric. And, and that's a product of years of, of, of kind of a training on rearing children and that certain philosophies that have crept in that really have created idols out of our children. And it has given us a perspective of what they need that is warped. And so I want to say we need to go back to the way that God did this. And, and, and for starters, children are not as fragile as you think. You know, well, I don't want to squelch their dreams. I don't want to inhibit them from their freedoms. I don't want them to grow up hating me. Well, let me tell you, the nature of what's in us, in fallen beings, is that when we're told no, we're going to hate that hand that says no. Right? Because something deeper than behavior has to shift. So anyway, I I don't want to go into that too much, but, but so... Paul has this moment where he's, he's uh, going, journeying towards Damascus to, to persecute Christians, to kill and imprison Christians. And along the way, Jesus appears to him. And it says in verse 3 of uh, chapter 9 of Acts, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He's appropriately surprised. He didn't know he was persecuting the people of the Messiah. So he has this confrontation, and he he falls off his horse, and he's blind. Meanwhile, the Lord appears in a vision to a man named Ananias. And he says to him, says, listen, Ananias... Uh, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
Now that was a challenge because he heard that, you know, isn't this the guy that's killing us? Yeah, that's him. But here's what I wanted to focus on in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. Wow, hallelujah. Wouldn't you love to have that as a young Christian? You know, the prophet comes through town. He points at you and says, hey, I've appointed you to stand before kings. I've appointed you to be my voice. I've appointed you to be my ambassador. I'm going to send you with power and anointing into the nations. Like, hallelujah. Right? Wow, I like some of that. (laughs) Yeah, keep reading. (laughs) Verse 16 says, for I will show him... How many things he must suffer for my name's sake? Holy smokes. This is day one. Where's the, where's the coddling? Where, where's the, I love you so much that you can do no wrong in my eyes. You know, where, where's that part? Like, Lord, I mean, he's a spiritual child. You know, isn't there a moment for at least a little bit of sippy cup time? <laughs> right? Yeah. But he throws him right into the deep end. It's like, no, no, no. I, yes, there is blessing on the heels of sacrifice. There is always blessing, but on the heels of a certain kind of dis- diminishment of something in you that's stealing your capacity for joy, stealing your capacity for freedom. But it's not outside of you, it's inside of you. So what I'm after is to diminish that so that you can experience more of me. That's the journey. But you know what? We, we are caught up in our culture of the whole, you know, prince and princesses. We're, we're raising princes and princesses. You can do no wrong. There's, you're, you're, you're great just as you are. You are, you are perfect in every, every way. You know, I'm so thankful my mom didn't, wasn't, didn't raise me that way. Or my dad. But my mom was more aware of the cultural trends. And there was a guy named Spock back then that was writing a book and saying, you know, don't discipline your children, basically, that you're suffocating their creativity and their individuality, and, and discipline is a negative. And uh, my mom didn't take that track. When, when, when my mom came to the school, it was not to defend me. <laughs> but, you know, now, things may be a little bit different now. There, there are, you know many injustices in our educational system, but they come on the heels of that philosophy that was embedded back then in that generation in the 60s. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that today. But, I, but here's what I want to say to start, and I'm going to shift. Paul says to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, it says, he says, Timothy, endure hardship. I want you to hear these words very clearly. Timothy is being raised up and is an apostolic voice in his day. And the advice of Paul is not, yes, poor you. Yeah, I know it's hard, but God loves you. Let, you know, just, just, just lay down and rest. Let me bring you some tea. I mean, there's great, it's great to have moments like that. I bring my wife coffee every morning. But it's, you know, about the only real comfort I bring to her. She's a hard worker. So I thought it's the least I can do, bring her coffee in the morning. But, uh, you know, we have this, this philosophy in our world 
that the way to make people great is by keeping them from hardship. Keeping them from difficulties that delaying as much as possible the consequences of their bad decisions. And uh, it's not going well. Endure hardship as a good soldier. See, this is the imagery that the, uh, the initial apostle, and he, you know, he came by it quite, quite honestly. The Lord, in his first greeting to him, says, I'm going to show you all the things you have to suffer. Wow. So we need to change our ideas, our paradigms about what is required. Now, uh, I just happened to be watching the last couple of days a, a, a series on World War II called The Pacific. And uh, uh, anyway, as we're watching the first episode, I'm seeing, you know, the cost of war, the horrors of war. And I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty dire. But here's the thing. It's like the sergeants and the commanders and the MPs, they're not going to nurture you like your mommy. And uh, they, I remember this one scene, they're taking them by train, all these soldiers, after, the, after they had this battle, this great battle called the Guadalcanal or something like that, great victory in World War II. But they take them in Australia, they take them by train 100 miles, and they get them all off the train and say, okay, you're going to get one bag of rice and you're going to get, I don't know, something else they gave them and said, uh, Japanese soldiers can live off this for three weeks. So uh, I expect to see you back in Melbourne in three days. Get going. <laughs> Dropped them off 100 miles. Of course, by the time they get there, it's like blisters and, you know, the whole gamut of wounds from walking 33 miles a day on not Adidas shoes. Hardship. Difficulty. And you might, you might think, I mean, that would just would not fly today. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, somebody made a post the other day contrasting a recent Russian enlistment commercial that was played in Russia versus a recent United States military recruitment video. And it's, it's you want to talk about woke, you want to talk about placating children, you want to talk about comfort. It's all about... You know, come here and you can, you can find your identity. And it was all kinds of ah, just self-congratulating garbage. There's nothing about sacrifice, nothing about becoming an overcomer. Not, it's all about you have all this potential and we're going to make it happen to you by nurturing you and loving you and giving you an opportunity. It's like my mom has become the general. Maybe not my mom, your mom. Anyway, so there's that, that duality is here today in the room. And you know, there are, there are tender moments when the Spirit of God comes and comforts us and when he comes and, 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 uh, and kisses our bobos. But I don't know about you, but for me, God was, he was like, like, kind of like Saul. It's like he quickly said, okay, now get up. You're not, di- you're not dying. This is not unto death. Get up. And forgive and release and do the hard stuff. He didn't let me languish in those moments of my pain. And some of you who have been through those, those kind of chapters in your life, you know 
the beauty of God not allowing you to indulge self-pity. It's, it's, not, it's not negative. It's beautiful. It's freeing. And so let's, let's believe God right now. And I'm going to shift into the, the real message. But Father, I pray, God, that we could escape the tentacles of a destructive culture, of a destructive message that indulges all of our wants, all of our dreams, all of our personal ambitions, that promises that God would never thwart any of our desires. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, shift us. Amen. Now, what I'm going to talk about here this morning is somewhat related. But last night, if you were here, we started praying about, about hearing the voice of God. We, you know, we're doing 21 days of prayer, so every night at 7 p.m., we have a meeting here. We had a smaller group last night, and it was led by a wonderful, beautiful couple. It was great. They did excellent. Where are they? Oh, they're upstairs with the kids, I think. Yeah. See, they're always serving. You know what? Things happen around here because somebody is picking up their cross. Somebody is choosing to do the work. Uh, you know, that, that's why things happen is because people are, I mean, this is not a restaurant, right? We, we're not here throwing our dollars on the, on the table so that we get the best food. You know, and then we, we're going to tip based on the service. You know, I'm going to decide next week whether I'm going to tithe based on how well you pleased me. So, got to love these people. But anyway, last night we were talking about this issue about hearing God's voice. And it was excellent. Really, really good. But it highlighted something around the challenges of today about hearing God's voice. Now, um, Father, I pray right now, God, for an atmosphere of breakthrough in Jesus' name. God, I pray for an atmosphere of breakthrough. An atmosphere of breakthrough. So as we were praying, we were bringing up some of the challenges and praying into them, and it was all perfect. It was all wonderful. It was all suitable. There are challenges, and we've seen a lot of particularly young people who are struggling with the issue that they want to hear God's voice. They've, they've sought the Lord. They've come to church. They've paid their tithes, and their feeling is that God is not listening to me. God is not hearing me, and I totally understand that. I totally understand that feeling that, I, you know, if, why wouldn't God make it easier for me to be informed? Why wouldn't he make it easier for me to hear him and know for sure that I'm doing the right thing? Why, like, why is this so hard? Why is, it, why is his voice so unclear sometimes? And a lot of us are wondering that, aren't we? Here's the answer. Because. Just because. Now... See, God is trying to shift our attitude about what is right, what is wrong, and who can be trusted. And the issue that's happening is he's actually digging into our hearts because this is the promise that we have. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. But it, does, it doesn't really stop there. It says, if you seek me with all of your heart. Well, I think I did that. 
Now, uh, you could, I could illustrate, I don't know how many times, the different movies that have been made about individuals who discover in them another level. Another, another degree of fullness to their effort. You know, there's, there's, I mean, so many movies made about these things. I mean, remember the Titans is one of those. And there was, I mean, Rudy, you know, like all these ones where you see these full-hearted people who press, who don't, maybe don't have the talent, they don't have the intelligence, they don't have some of the things other people have, but they have the heart, they have the ability to dig in, to give all. And we sit back and we watch these people and we celebrate them because there's something glorious and beautiful about somebody who's full-hearted. There's abs- Why? Because it touches on something that's kingdom. It touches on something that God is looking for. He say, listen, I want you to seek me and it, here's the promise. You'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Well, Lord, I haven't, I haven't sought, I haven't found you yet in the way I want to, but I believe that I have sought you with all my heart. Well, we have a problem, Houston. One of us is lying. <laughs> Come on. Now, I, I know, I know we feel for our children. We, we feel for people who have made an effort. And sometimes you, you, know, you hate to see people disappointed. But God doesn't seem to be so moved by whether we are disappointed or not. Why? Because he is convinced of one thing. He is right. He's absolutely 100% convinced that he is correct. And that everything that he ordains for our life is just and to the degree that you believe that you can invite invite others into this paradoxical struggle of relating to a good God who resists you sometimes a good God who hides from you a good like here's the thing we have to begin to believe that he has good reason for doing the things he does the way he does them and if you doubt that on any, on any level inside, that's where the struggle begins. If, you, if a grain of doubt enters in and says, well, maybe God isn't righteous. Well, that's what Lucifer began to think. Lucifer's in heaven. He's somehow gotten a desire that he deserves more. That somehow he's getting the short end of the stick. Now, in the, in the judgment that we see in Ezekiel and Isaiah, the truth is he was given this elevated position. He got way more than he deserved, but some kind of corruption entered into him and he began to believe that God was malicious. Let me just say this, that you can be immune to bitterness. You can be immune to the pitfalls of this struggle, if you can hold on to this one, this one truth, God, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. You see, well, how does this connect to what you said before? Here's how it connects. And I don't want to over, overplay this. But my parents' parenting style diminished my confidence in my rightness. Because all of the clashes are always about who is right and who is wrong. It's always about that. This is not fair. Actually, it is. It's totally fair. You know, you see some of the 
ridiculous arguments that you see in some of today's dramas are played out in reality on live TV where you have this child who, who is, is supported financially by her parent. They're 19 years old. They do nothing. They, they're demanding from their parent $2,500 U.S. A, a month. That this is the lifestyle that they were accustomed to, and they are owed $2,500 U.S. as parental support while they do nothing. I mean, not only do they believe that, they're going on TV to make the case before the whole world. Can you say entitlement? Why? Nobody ever said no to that kid. Everybody told you, you're a princess. You deserve it all. You know? And this was the version of love that, that actually pours in and enlarges the demands that you make on everybody else but yourself. It's destructive. We're beginning to see its destructiveness. That's why the answer is always the death of the cross. God is saying, listen, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Endure hardship. That you're embracing something that's diminishing the thief that's in your life. The thief in your life are not the circumstances that you have to deal with. It's the idea about the injustice around those circumstances. So, <laughs> the heavens are sometimes brass. They sometimes seem to be closed. I have been through more than one moment when I was frustrated by the lack of heaven's response to my predicament. But the thing that kept me in, 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 the, in the moment was, God, you are righteous. With all my heart, I just believe that. No, you, God, you are right. Like, and what I struggled with was this paradoxical thing where I know that, God, you can change the situation, and, and yet you're not. And so I can, have a, I can begin to believe that either you're malicious and awful and horrible and you hate me, or I can begin to believe that there's divine purpose in this beyond what I know. And then, of course, the next question is, well, why wouldn't you explain it more clearly to me? <laughs> because faith requires that you believe something that is not immediately obvious before you, that it's not constantly displayed. You, have, you are forced to believe. Now, as you grow up, you see this, the, the very nature of this kind of thing. Little babies, they're insecure. They're fearful. As soon as they can't see mom, they start to cry. You know, but as they grow up, they begin to believe that mom's still there, even when I can't see her. And, and that's what bridges the hardness of the moments. Well, that's great. You've, I've, I've been gone from your presence for 30 seconds and you didn't cry. Woohoo! Can we go to a minute? <laughs> Can we go to 10 minutes? Can we go to circumstances where you're having to clean the toilet by yourself? You know, we, we try to get our kids to do things. We say, okay, why don't you help mommy? Oh, you're such a good cleaner. You're such a good helper for mommy, blah, blah, blah. You know, we do these things to entice them to do stuff. But, but you have to bring them on, along very slowly. Always rewards, you know. If you do this, I'll give you some ice cream. And, have to, of course, I have to praise you all the way along. But eventually, when you've got a 30-year-old, 
you know, you, and you have, you have to entice them to clean the toilet. And, and if, they, if, if, if they're not given, you know, all kinds of gratitude and reward for doing what they do, they pout and withdraw and shut down. What you have is a child, not an adult, right? And is that good on any scale? Right? Anyway, I, I, I am uh, pulling away from my main theme. But here's what I want to do. I want to start talking about this, is that, is that the clarity that we're looking for, the clarity we're looking for is available. Let me just say that. The ability to hear God and to see more clearly is there for you. This is what I, I want to put out. But it's not going to come easy. It's not going to come easy. See, we have this idea about this, and I've touched on this again and again and again. But, but even with the prophets, it's the same thing. You remember when God came to Jeremiah, and he says to Jeremiah, he, he, he's showing him something. He says, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see a, you know, a pot. And, he, and, he, and God says, you've seen well. And you look at that and you think, well, if God was showing it to him, how could he not see? That's the, that's the problem right there. Because the ability to see is not based on the fact that God is showing it. That it's entirely separate from God's desire to show you something. Your ability to perceive and to see and to hear is a very distinct category from God's desire to show or speak to you. The truth is God is speaking and showing all the time. One of my friends once said this. He was complaining to the Lord. and said, Lord, could you speak louder? I'm, you know, I'm having a hard time hearing you. And the Lord says, I could speak louder, but I, what I want is for you to get quieter. What I want is for you to diminish all the other sounds and voices around you that are blurring and inhibiting your ability to hear. But it's not obvious that those things are happening. But this is the reality of our life today. That God wants to show us things, but we're maybe not willing to do what it takes to become more acute with our hearing. Now, the inability to hear is connected to something that the Bible calls the hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart. In other words, the Bible, God is saying to you, listen, if you softened your heart, you would hear. If you allowed me to soften your heart, if you embraced the pounding of your flesh from my hand, your, 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 your heart would be softened. But here's the problem I have. As soon as I bring you into discipline, as soon as I start to pound your flesh, you start to believe that I don't love you anymore because you don't have enough faith to endure the hardship that will make you a good soldier. So I'm stuck, the Lord is saying, if you don't believe. I can work with anybody who's willing to hold on, to, who actually believes that God loves them, 
despite what's happening. I want to say that I was built by this because, in part, because of my parent, the parenting style of my parents, where they, they demonstrated their love through discipline. I mean, I, I remember having friends whose parents were easy on them, and they hated their parents. I've told you this before. I mean, they, hate, they hated their parents. They were rebellious, and they would tell me, your dad makes you do what? You should, you're 16 now. You don't have to do that. You could just tell him, F you. And I think, I would never do that. <laughs> a, he would beat me to a pulp because <laughs> he was super strong. But I just, I honored him too much for that. I, I would never think, like I loved him and I knew he loved me, even though he was very imperfect. I would never, re- I'd never do that to his face. And I'm thinking, how is it, and as a teenager, I'm thinking, how is it that I can honor my father so much who's hard on me and these other, my friends who I love, their parents are easy on them and they hate their parents more than I hate my parents in mine are hard, hard and theirs are indulgent. How does that work? That's exactly how it works. When you service entitlement, it will enlarge itself. It will? Guaranteed. So uh, what does this have to do with us here? When the Bible talks about these terms, and I won't be able to flush it out, I realize that I'm already running out of time. When the Bible talks about stiff-necked, hard-heartedness, dullness, uh, all of these things that have to do with our ability to clearly acutely discern what God is saying. All of them have to do with this issue right here. They all do. Now, let me read a couple of passages. Matthew 13, verse 14 to 17 says this. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will not hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall not see and not you shall see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand in their hearts in their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying, um, listen, all through the history of the church, everybody who's ever lived, ever served God, has endured on some level the frustration of why don't I hear God? Why don't I perceive more clearly? And, uh, and, it, and pressing through that struggle is the main challenge. But let me paint a different picture. Let me, uh, let me try and piece this together. I, I wrote a little story here about hearing and perceiving And I'll see if I can't make this make more sense. There's a man in the midst of a life-threatening flood. Having found refuge on the roof of his house, now surrounded by the pounding waves of the sea, he surveys the destruction. 
His entire neighborhood is inundated in the tsunami-like storm surge. His houses, one by one, are collapsing all around him. The tidal forces, aided by fierce wind and torrential rains, further expedite the erosion as the inevitable, the inevitable becomes clear. His chances of survival from this apocalyptic surf are diminishing by the second. Suddenly, a desperate realization grips him with, with, uh, with, with, with power, and he, he soon begins to, he, he knows he's going to meet his maker very soon. Having callously rebuffed God's wooing love and chastening voice in the past, he's afraid. So he uncharacteristically begins to cry as desperation consumes him. His pleas are passionate and sincere, punctuated with penitence and humility, followed by a stream of vows. That's when all the vows come. His voice pierces the air as he shouts, Oh God, if you will save me, I will serve you with all my heart. I'm sorry for my wayward life. I'll promise to pursue you for the rest of my days. If only you'll rescue me now. Oh God, please have mercy. Suddenly, the pulsating sounds of a chopper blades drown out his voice as the whirl of a Sikorsky helicopter captures his attention in mid-sentence. Then, with a quick hand gesture towards the heavens, as he scrambles to his feet to grasp the lowered cable, when he is, he is heard to say, never mind, God, I got this. Is it clear? I was reading, I was reading about uh, Pharaoh and God's intention for Pharaoh. And I, I, there were so many scriptures, I didn't even bother looking them up. But God at one point makes it very clear. He says to Pharaoh, he says, I, I've chosen you. That must have felt, made Pharaoh feel good. Oh, the God of the Hebrews chose me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've chosen to use you to declare my name across the nations. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> well, hold on. And we know what he, he, how he chose him. He said, I chose you because I know you're a rebellious, entitled little snot. <laughs> and you're going to resist doing all the things that I... I'm requiring of you, and so I'm going to have an opportunity to demonstrate my greatness in the wake of your hard-heartedness. So here's what happened is, is you see, Pharaoh, as much as he's, in, he's, he's, he's encountering the supernatural with the sorcerers of Egypt, and, and he begins to see the hand of God, but hardness of heart has this capacity to dismiss reality. Hardness of heart causes you to, to not know what is really real when, when the supernatural punctuates and steps in to the, the seen world and then suddenly is gone. Then you wonder if it really happened. In other words, you, that thing happened. You know what happened, but like, is it real? Was that real? This is what the Pharisees had. They're, they had this guy who was in front of him who says he's blind from a child and that he was healed by Jesus. So they, they bring him in. They're like, no, this, this, seriously, this couldn't happen. No, somebody must be playing a trick. I will not be fooled. I'm more sophisticated than this. 
Surely somebody's lying. This is some, you know, magician's sleight of hand or whatever. You know, so they bring him in. They interview him. They interview him again. They get his parents and they interview them and say, this is our son. Yes, he was blind. And they're, they're like, it's, the evidence is right there, but they still can't believe it. They can't believe it. Yet the, it's right there in front of them. The testimony, everything is right there, but they still can't believe it. Why can't they believe it? Isn't there enough evidence? See, here's the thing. The unbelieving hard heart is always asking for more evidence, believing that more evidence is the key to my commitment to this thing. It's not. More evidence is not what you need. Less evidence is what you need. You see, when, when God is bringing you along in this journey and he puts you in a situation where you're frustrated and the heavens seem to be brass, you are sure that the out here, that the, the solution of this is that God would speak louder with more clarity, that God would come in and adjust things in a way that I would know for sure that it's him and he loves me and all is good. He says, no, 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 no. It's not how this works. I want you to believe. I want you to believe. But hope that is seen is not, is, is not faith. Faith is the substance of what is not seen. I want you to believe despite the fact that you don't see. Because this, the, nothing can be satiated. This part of you the reason why God is calling us to the cross, because this part of us that wants to be serviced in terms of make it easier for me to believe is the thing that's keeping us from more of the kingdom. It, it is what is the barrier between us and the Lord. So God is saying, well, you, you know, uh, he's saying, listen, I need you to struggle through this. Why? Same reason why weightlifters lift weight. <laughs> it's resistance that increases the tensile strength of your muscles. And resistance against your faith is the trial that determines whether your faith increases or decreases. Now, I'm going to turn to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. In the course of about 15 to 20 verses, three times, three times, three times, the Lord articulates, he, he says there's a connection between hearing my voice and the hardening of the heart. Listen, we need to own this, okay? Don't get offended. Don't, don't, I'm not standing up saying, well, oh, God said, Mark says I don't hear the Lord because my heart is hard. Okay. <laughs> There's no other alternative. Therefore, so it says in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What a contrast. Hardening, hardening my heart is pitted against hearing his voice. Well, wow. he says, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me, saw my works 40 years, and I was angry with that generation and said, they shall all go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. So I swore my breath, wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, the consequences of this are absolutely massive. He says, listen, they're not going to understand my ways. Not because I don't want to show them that my ways, but the pathway to understanding my ways is hearing my voice. And the pathway to hearing my voice is not hardening your heart. And what is hardening your heart? It's believing that something was natural after it was clearly spiritual. I, I can't tell you how many times I have encountered really supernatural moments. Because you look at that, the Pharisees, well, how could they not believe his eyes were, were, were healed and he was blind? Because the heart with the heart, man believes. They just could not believe. I remember the time when I was, and I've shared this story with them, in Anaheim, and the Lord speaks to me with an inner audible voice. He says, go to, I mean, he spoke very clearly. Go to the Anaheim Hilton. Go to the 14th floor. Morris Sorella will be there. He'll lay hands on you. Boom! Heaven interrupts the natural word. I'm standing in the parking lot. And then I ask myself, did that really happen? Because the fleeting reality of that thing, there, there are two worlds. And when that world intervenes and then withdraws and is not there anymore, only faith can hold on to it. And we say, oh, God, do it again. This is a big part of our problem. You come to church every Sunday, and some of us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it's God, tell me you love me. What's the point? You can't hold on to it. I've only told you 100,000 times. I'm trying to get you to believe it without me not saying it every minute. Now, when you're a child, when we're doting little mothers and little babies, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. mommy loves you. You're so beautiful. You're so sweet. We want to make sure we suspend every discomfort along the way. And that's right for a very small season. But that season as a spiritual child is shorter than you want it to be. But we're desperately trying to hang, it, hang on to it like Peter Pan trying to hold on to his childhood. And God is saying, grow up. Come on. Grow up. Start believing me. I have called you. See, I have called you to pull the invisible into the visible. But if you can't first apprehend the invisible by faith, you'll never be able to pull it into the visible. So in the space of just a few verses, three times, three times. So he says it right there. And then he says, Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief. Ooh. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Well, it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Wow. I'm getting, I'm getting close. Are, we, are you good? Are you still holding on there? See, here's what happened 
to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart because as soon as the pressure of the plague was gone, you know what he began to believe? It was just a coincidence. All those frogs died, yeah, but they don't have a very long lifespan anyway. It was likely going to happen anyway. And here I made this silly, presumptuous vow, make sure I won't do that again. I'm not going to be lulled into some false thing, God taking credit for, you know, the Hebrew God taking credit for things that are just, you know, normal. It was going to happen anyway. And it, it just gets increasingly more ridiculous, his denial, because he keeps hardening his heart. He keeps believing. When the pressure's not on him, he keeps lapsing over to his original posture. You see, this is our problem. We have, we have a posture of unbelief, and God is trying to free us from that posture. We say, oh God, free us from the, the tension of my life. I remember for years and years when we were trying to build a, our, our ministry and we're trying to walk with the Lord, I said, God, you know, if you could only just make it easier financially, I would accept that you would just lapse back into your normal place of unbelief. So I need to keep the pressure on. Not because I want to, but because that's what you need, because I know your heart. And I, while I should be saying, oh God, thank you for the trials and tribulations that are perfecting me, I'm so glad to be your child. That was not my impulse. My impulse is, if you really love me, you would make it easier. Come on, mom, make my bed. I don't like making my bed. Do I have to feed myself? You're 30 years old. Now, man, there's, there's, there's so much here. But again, in chapter 4 of Hebrews, he, uh, down in verse 6, he said, Since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Now, the question is, all right, how, how do we get to the place where where we believe, where we can endure hardship as a good soldier. How do, we, what is the, how do I get from here where I am today, where I'm frustrated by these things, where they frustrate me less? What's the journey between here and there? You want to know? It's what we started. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But Lord, I, I did that. Okay. Guess there's nowhere to go from here. I, I, have, to, I have to say, I have to back up from that position. I have to say, God, clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. Either that or I have to hold the position that you don't know what you're talking about. And I can't do that. And as hard as it is 
to say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Because I always think I know what I'm talking about. That's the way we're born. <laughs> you know, that's what comes on us as teenagers. We know everything. It's very hard to relinquish that position. I clearly don't know what I'm... At some point, you start to say, okay, God, I am your workmanship. Like, do what you need to. I'm the clay. Uh, you are the potter. You, you, you do it. If you think I need the, the, the kiln, if you think I need to get back on that spinning thing that makes me dizzy, whatever you need to do to shape me, I'm willing. Have you, are we really there yet? Are we really, really, really there? Or do we have a list? of? Has our Christian culture given a list? If God really loves you, these are the things that he'll do for you. He'll never demand this of you or this or this. Let me tell you, toss that list out. Toss it out. Because he'll do all those things and more. You know why? What's more important? Your destiny in the future is more important. Your capacity to believe is more important. The solution is stop saying it's not fair. Oh, see, Joseph had it hard. Just like many of us, he starts out with this great promise. Oh, you're, you know, the sun and moon are going to bow down and this, the 12 stars. Your brothers are going to serve you. Your mom and dad are going to serve you. It's like, this is great. Yeah, well, hold on. The other part of it is suffering. Well, what's the suffering for? It doesn't matter. You don't have to know. You're going to realize later. In fact, not understanding is going to make the suffering harder, so that's going to require more faith from you, which is the objective. Oh, doesn't sound fun. Let's just pause for a second. Father, I pray, God, for spirit of repentance to come on us, Lord, that we would turn. See, repentance is a turning, and you want that to turn against the impulse. Well, if only the church. If only Pastor Mark, if only my wife, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only all these things, then I would. No, 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 no. It's not the way it works. Now, I've talked about this before, and I'm not imposing anything on anybody specifically, all right? I'm not saying, okay, from now on, when you come to this building, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying it. I don't make any demands. However... The Lord is looking at you, and he's saying, seek me. Seek me. Well, I, I thought I was. I've told you that story when the prophet came to me and said, he, this was his word. If only you would cry out, oh, the things I would do for you. I thought, what? I thought I was. Either that guy's out to lunch, or I'm not crying out the way I could. But I do cry out, yeah, more. You mean louder? Like, like, give me some specifics here, Lord, with all your heart. Yeah, but what does that look like? I can't explain it to you. Listen, this is the, it's, it's elementary in this sense. 
if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Well, I'm already saved. Yeah, but there's more of God, an eternal God. The knowledge of God is so vast and expansive. And each, each level, each layer of everything you get is enriching and transformative. Man, everything we need for life and godliness is in the revelation of him. So he said, seek me. I, I have treasures beyond your imagination that I'm just, I, it's for whosoever will. Yeah, I wish I was one of those famously selected people to suddenly have a worldwide ministry. Yeah, those guys all came out of the wilderness. Those all came out of death. They all came to that place because of resurrection and severe trial that you probably wouldn't, would never survive. God's given you the, the call to lay your life down in a way that's suitable with your ability right now. And others who seem to have more, it's because they had a capacity to lay down their life. They, I mean, Joseph, right? He's supposed to be this, the, the special child. He lands in prison. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's sold into slavery. He starts to come out of there. People lie to him. People cheat. Oh, and tries to have sex with him. And then he gets thrown in jail for that again. It's like, God, a little help. And God is saying, do you believe I'm good? Do you believe I'm good? Can you hold on to that in the midst of the fire? Can you hold on to it? Or have you fainted already? Now listen, listen to this. I, I love this. And I could go a lot of directions with it. Hebrews 5, 6, 8. Again, we're reading in Hebrews already. He's talking about hardening your heart. He said, listen, this is the journey. But listen, he's talking about Melchizedek and, and, and Jesus, really, uh, in the order of Melchizedek. And he says in chapter 5, verse 6 to 8, and he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Let me, let me isolate this tension that is before us right now. I was raised in the word faith movement. And the word faith movement basically said, you know, just, well, you, you can synthesize it in this word. It's not fair, but name it and claim it. In other words, believe that it's already done. And so then we're trying to apprehend the promises of God. So we, we were taught to have a sort of a, a confidence that says, well, you know, I, I just trust God and I believe God. And, and it's done already because I believe. So that's it. We're done. And confidence was me not thinking about it anymore. But yet Jesus is looking for something from God. He's not pretending he has it when he doesn't have it. He's crying out with vehement cries and tears. Well, he just doesn't know his, he doesn't understand his sonship, I guess. <laughs> Do you see this? God is willing to give you things, but you have to seek him with all your heart. Well, what does that look like? Apparently, apparently, vehement cries and tears. Now, here's the problem. Do I believe that the thing that I'm seeking is real enough that I can humble myself that much? Because I... You know, I don't want to call out any names, but let me use myself. 
I'm not that comfortable with weeping in front of people. I'm not that comfortable with crying out with all my heart before God. It's like, it's like what if he doesn't show up? Like, you know, if something doesn't happen, I kind of look like I got egg in my face, right? So, so let's take a more moderate approach to this so that we don't have a big matzo ball hanging out there. You know, because, you know, if I was guaranteed, you know, a pillar of fire would open up here, then I'd, I'd get down right now. Man, you, you want to see crying and weeping. As, as long as for sure, at the end of the day, I say, see, this is what you get. But he said, no, I, I want you to weep and lament and cry. Same, same thing in James chapter 4, over a protracted period of time. But the only thing that will enable you to do that is to if you actually see there's something to be gained. But if you don't really see that, you're not going to be willing to pay that price because the price of humbling yourself in prayer, like Jesus did, is a high price for the ego of men. It is a high price. And that's why few there be that find it. Not because it's not available. We, we just, it's not that real for us to do that. Because the disconnect between, man, I, I went 21 days. I went every, every night at 7 p.m. And I, I lifted my hands doing all the things that are uncomfortable to me. And nothing changed. It's like, this is not working. Or you did it wrong. Well, not wrong, but you're, it's incomplete. Incomplete. But either God is lying or he's not. If you seek me with all your heart. I don't even know what that is. Good. Discover it. Discover it. How bad do you want it? How much do you believe the promise? That will determine how much you're willing to humble yourself. Well, you know what? I got a pretty good Christian life. I'll let the young generation cry and weep and look stupid. I'm doing pretty good. Against what standard? Again, I'm not saying this to embarrass or force anybody to do anything. I'm just saying this is the reality. God has things available to anybody that will seek him with all their heart. Anybody, 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 anybody. And if we don't, then we won't get that elusive thing, but it's up to us. But on the other hand, don't get mad at God's system of election when somebody starts to walk in something that you thought you should get because you were here first. Am I stepping on enough toes today? I'll quickly wrap this up. Give you an illustration. This guy, Wendy and I listened to this message a number of times. He was from Christ of the Nations. I can't remember his name or anything. But he's talking about how God dealt with his half-heartedness. He didn't know he was half-hearted. He's just, you know, living up, living his life, surviving, going to Bible college. You know, he got saved. God called him. He's at Bible college, and, and uh, he starts telling this story about ping pong. She so says, one day, you know, I'm looking at these jocks and they're all playing ping pong and they're all good and everything. I'm not very athletic anyway. I happened to be there one day and somebody says, hey, you want to play? I said, no, no I, I, I don't really play ping pong. 
oh, come on, you, you can do it. So, so I, you know, reluctantly, I take the paddle, and, and I, I, this guy's good, and I, tick, 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 you know, but then he just, boom, and he hits that ball, and he goes, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of reaching. I, I am not, I, I'm not going to reach for that, for a ball I'm sure I'm not going to get. And so I just kind of quietly saunter over and pick up the ball, and I go back, and I boom. He said, but along the way, after a few days of playing, you know, and again, something changed, and I became an animal. I dove and reached and laid my body out for every ball. I mean, he said, he said I just... Something happened where I decided I just don't care how, how, how bad I look for reaching something that I don't get. See, I'm going to close the gap between not being able to get and starting to get some of those balls by laying myself up. And the price is being laid out many times and not reaching the ball. And having to give somebody else that satisfaction that they are prevailing over me. See, what, what he realized is that the half-heartedness was a protection to keep others from not feeling superior to me. If I'm not competing, they can never feel good that they're better. I, I obviously don't care enough. It's not, I could get it if I really wanted to. Half-heartedness. You think, well, why does God want us to play ping pong? It's not about ping pong. <laughs> it's about the posture of his heart in everything that he did. Everything. He, did. he tells this story. He said, he says, so we're down at the beach, and, and there's, a, there's a, at the end of the dock, there's a, a, a rope hanging in the air. And, you know, people, guys are running down, Geronimo, swinging, jumping, woo! He said, I, you know, I, so they, again, he's goaded into doing this. Okay, I, but he, I'm not the running type. So he says, so I, I just kind of sit, I just kind of saunter down, and, you know, at the end I, I reach out, and, but the, it's, the rope is a little bit further than I thought, and so I, I reach out, and I was going to, you know, reach out, pull it back, and then maybe do a little swing, keep, keep it all dignified. Nice presentation of a thing without me taking the chance that I might stumble and fall on the dock or as I'm running down the hill or miss the rope at the end or, you know, so I'm taking it easy so I can maintain my, my, my dignity. He said, but as I reached out, I suddenly, suddenly realized uh, I reached out to that point where I was suspended between the dock and the, <laughs> and the rope and, and, and I couldn't get back to the dock. And, of course, he looked even more foolish. And he said, I, be, I began to realize there's just some things that can't be done unless they're done with a whole heart. The business that God is in is he's trying to make us wholehearted. But there's, part of, there's something that just, I want to protect my integrity. I don't want to give others the satisfaction that, no, I gave it all, but I couldn't do it. Uh, this is the amazing thing. When I look at successful believers, I find the greatest thing that they have is full-heartedness. That's why often people who give themselves 110% in sports end up being great Christians. Not because God loves athletes, 
but because it's wholeheartedness that enabled them to get to that place in their athleticism, and it's wholeheartedness that enabled them to get to that place in their walk with God. But it's predicated upon all of these, these other truths. The promise. If you seek me, if you want more of God, this is what he's saying. You can have me. Yeah, but it seems so easy for this one and this one and this one. Yeah, but they're, they're built different, and you don't know the price they paid to get that. Maybe they've been playing ping pongs, metaphorically speaking, in their basements for days at a time. You don't know how they've humbled themselves, what their journey has cost them. So don't you dare make that assumption that it came easy for somebody else, even though it may have. But that, that again is God is not working with what others have. He's working with what you have. And if you've been born to a long line of half-hearted people, chances are you're going to be half-hearted. But if you want to create a destiny for your children that's more than what you got, you have to change that. And you can. This is the thing. God is not holding back anything. His promise is yea and amen. He said, listen, you can have more of me. If you seek me with your whole heart. So let's just close our eyes. Let's stand up together. <sighs> Father, we I, I just let's let's start by repenting. Let's start by saying, Lord, when I decided that that, that particular Christian or that other my wife or my cousin, my brother, my my neighbor didn't deserve how you were visiting him, I want to declare that I didn't know what I was talking about. That you're a good God. You're a just God. And you don't withhold your presence. You don't hide yourself for no reason. In fact, it's the glory of kings to seek out the things that are hidden by God. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, forgive me for deciding in advance that others were not worthy of the gifts and the callings, the election, the anointings, the things you gave them. Father, forgive me for all the times I decided I was a better candidate than them. Lord, you are the just judge of all. That's where we got to start, right there. You are the just judge of all. God, God, I want to see my heart changed. This is a journey. This is a journey. Like, like this guy learning to play ping pong with his whole heart. Are we willing to lay it out? How many times have you gone to a prayer meeting and you spent 20 minutes thinking about what you were going to say before you went to the mic? That is, that is self-preservation at work. But yeah, but I, I prayed eloquently. I said all the things. The, the words correctly. I articulated it. Even in the moment, there was a little ebb of passion. And, and I said, in Jesus' name. I thought I did that perfectly. <laughs> Abandonment does not calculate. It just reaches. Passion reaches. All the times that you were desperate, you reached without preparation. 
heart, 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 heart. God, enlarge our hearts. Lord, enlarge our hearts. God, I pray, give us a church that celebrates and rewards the fullness of heart. I must have you. I must have you. I must have you. I believe God is offering us a moment of transformation today, a moment of shift, a new slate, a new trajectory.